Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but to evil. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay. So, the Facebook post is a little bit of clickbait, but not completely. <laughs> um, in the sense that uh, I think this chapter is one of the most important um, for everybody's uh, spiritual life. Um, I think this is the chapter that everyone's either going to really hate, um, I think, or find um, life-changing, um, depending on, on how you use it or don't use it, um, and whether you get his point or not. Um, it is, it's a tough one, but I think, I actually think my own father confession growing up raised us so strongly on this that I didn't even realize to what extent um, it had uh, entered me. So this one also goes, even though he doesn't connect this week's talk with last week's or two weeks ago, whenever it was, um, I will connect them at the end because I actually think it's the missing piece of the puzzle for judgment, even though it's its own very clear um, standalone topic that doesn't have to be related to judgment per se. So we'll go through it. Um, if there's contention, uh, comments, anything, please uh, write stuff down as we go, um, because I think it might make for uh, a good discussion. I just think that this is so counter-cultural um, that I'm not sure how well uh, it'll be received. But anyway, um, Dorotheo starts off with an observation that we can all relate to. He starts low and goes slow, and then he lays it on us. Um, <clears throat> and he says, all right, sometimes we might hear someone give us a disparaging remark. Um, someone puts us down, someone angers us, someone provokes us. And for some reason, it doesn't get to us, right? So he starts off by saying when it doesn't bother us. Just saying we might not even notice that the person slighted us. But he says, but there are other times where something happens and we are completely and immediately worked up. So he says, so what is, what's the difference between these two? Why is it that we sometimes get really upset and other times we can hear stuff and it makes no difference to us? Um, and he says, we're going to get to that. There's probably one common reason, but he says, okay, let's say you're in a good state of prayer because we all think we're doing well spiritually when we pray or we're just spiritually chilling, we're in a good mood. He goes, when you're in a good mood, in general, you're probably more fine, right? But he goes, but if on top of it, if you're partial to the person who's attacking, right? If you just prefer them as human beings for whatever reason, um, you might be able to put up with it better, right? Because you, just because you like the person. Um, Sorry, I lost my spot, my spot already. Um, I guess it's almost like, I don't know, like for any of you, I, I don't know the relationship dynamics anymore, but the parents of like Abuna is calling, right? It's like, Abuna, it's Abuna, it's Abuna, right? And it might be at an awkward time, a most inopportune time because Abuna, they're excited. Whereas if it was someone else, they'd be like, 
is this the time for a call? Why are they calling right now? Who calls at this hour, right? Like that there's, there's partiality, right? Um, and then he says, but there's another type is when you already disdain someone, right? When you already don't like someone. When they come on the attack, he says, you don't even treat them as a human. You might not even give any meaning to what is said or done by that person. You completely dismiss. And he gives an example that he says, this will astonish you. I don't think it astonishes me anymore, but it's probably astonishing at the time. Um, and he tells a story of a certain monk because um, he's going to come and make a point with this. He says, okay, there's certain brothers living at the monastery um, before Abadorotheus arrived at this monastery. And he says, you know, this, this monk, when I came to the time that I came, I never saw him upset. I never saw him put out. I never saw him troubled. I never saw him angry um, with anyone. Um, even though, he says, I saw people treat him badly or unkindly. And he was a young monk, and he took everything as if for no trouble to him at all. So Dorotheus is like, wow, this guy's impressive. Because I marveled at his forbearance. And I wanted to learn how he acquired this virtue. Um, Dorotheus is a really good storyteller. But so I, I took him aside, and I bowed before him. I gave him a mutanya, and I begged him to tell me what thoughts were in his heart when he was insulted or treated badly. How could he be so patient. He answered directly, is it my business to pay any attention to their shortcomings or accept their insults as coming from humans? They're just barking dogs. Having heard this, <laughs> I cast my eyes down and said to myself, has this brother found the way? <laughs> and signing myself, I went away praying that God would protect both him and me. <laughs> so this is obviously not the right kind of forbearance. And I actually love that story um, <laughs> because it's built up like we're expecting this drop of greatness to come out. Um, but this is not forbearance rooted in virtue. This is forbearance rooted in ego, right? And, and I'm glad that he told this story because that issue is so common today. We just say it differently. We're not, we're not maybe always... I mean, sometimes you are as direct about saying you are just barking dogs, but um, I think it's not uncommon for to hear people say things like, whatever, that guy doesn't even know what he's talking about anyway, right? If somebody were to make a comment where we're dismissive like that, it's the same thing. Um, this is the same kind of thing that I think people actually mean when they say things like, um, oh, don't worry about those guys, they're not worth it. Um, but to, to decide that someone's not worth it, what makes somebody worth it? Um, like it, it's very telling, um, how many people, in other words, do you or I treat as barking dogs? Um, and just not realize that we're not using that expression, but we are. So in general, he says, we are usually troubled or upset by others when we are either not in a good mood, as we know or because we dislike the person troubling us. He goes, now that's the superficial. But if we investigate the root cause of any annoyance, because if we investigate it accurately, the root cause is so simple, we do not accuse ourselves. That is why we have commotion and never find rest. And he goes on to say, okay, the fathers, 
Pelo said there is no way but self-accusation. Nobody has ever taken any other way than self-accusation to find peace. So he says, if we want peace of soul and to be on the right path, we must come to the point of accusing ourselves. He says that if a man were even to be perfect in a thousand different virtues and not take this path, he would never stop troubling others or being troubled by them, and he would thus waste all his labors. The one who accuses himself has peace of soul. And he goes on to say, Abba Piman says, wherever he goes, no matter what happens to him, some dishonor, any kind of trouble, he's predisposed to accept it as his deserts, as his deserts, and he would never be put to confusion. Right? So he's saying that Abba Piman is saying, I view um, problems, like people attacking me, people um, annoying me, people irritating me, as dessert, the reward at the end of a meal. Right? Why? He's accepting it as a thing for him. Right? He's already divorced from another person. He's saying, this is my dessert. I don't care what the other guy meant by it. This is great for me. Right? And we see this, and like even in modern spirituality, St. Pope Krullus, when they opened his drawer after he passed away, what did they find? The letters of people insulting him. Not the letters of praise. I've heard the same thing said actually of the late uh, His Grace Bishop Emerson Leith, um, the Bishop of Social Services, who also played a big role in establishing the churches abroad. Um, same thing with him. Uh, there's a story that my priest used to tell us growing up where there was um, there was this monk who used to have to take a ride into the city regularly, and he'd always take a ride from the same Muslim. Um, and the Muslim, every time he got in the car, would, I, I think, spit and start insulting him. Um, and he did it every single day and just smiled. Um, and then for some reason, at some point, I remember the details of the story, I need to ask Muna for the details again, because the gist of it was at some point, for whatever reason, this guy stops doing it, and Abuna gets upset internally. Like, he doesn't tell the guy, please keep doing it. But he felt like he lost something. Um, and we'll get to how to come towards that and what, what this all means um, as this goes on. So right off the bat, Dorotheos is ready for what you might rebut. Um, and he says right away. So someone might say, well, what if my brother is troubling me and I can see that I haven't done anything, right? I haven't done anything to give him cause. So you're saying I'm supposed to make it my fault. I'm supposed to accuse myself. What if I have done my due diligence and I can see very clearly that there is actually nothing wrong that I have done, right? So why should I have to do this? And he comes back and says, if you really examine yourself in the fear of God, you will probably find that you have actually given cause for offense, either by deed or by word um, or by his bearing, by the whole scenario. If you don't find anything in that particular moment, you might find that you have in other circumstances with that same person done something or with another person other than that. Or perhaps you offended someone else on that account or for some other wrong and never paid for it. If you examine this way, you'll always find cause for guilt. So what he's saying is, you probably did something in that situation if you examine yourself, probably, right? If you do some self-reflection, you've probably triggered someone, you've probably done something. 
He goes, now let's say you don't. He was just like, well, have you in the past where this is carry over with this specific person? Or have you done the exact same thing that they're doing with someone else? Right? And he's like, or have you done wrong and gotten away with it? And we're going to see the beauty of why he's doing this in, in, a, in, in a moment. Um, and as I was rereading this chapter, I remember this happening to me and I was very upset. Um, in grade five, I won't say what I did, but in grade five, I did something wrong and I got away with it. It went to the principal's office, but for some reason, and I never got in trouble. But that day, I actually had done something, but they couldn't prove it. So I got away with it. <laughs> and I was so happy, right? But the next year, same principle. And I, I was sincerely not a troublemaker. I was too afraid to get in trouble. I was falsely accused of throwing rocks at, at like one of my best friends. Um, and I didn't even know my best friend had rocks being hit at him during recess, right? And so in the middle of class, I get buzzed to the principal's office and I'm yelled at, I'm, I'm asked to sign some paper saying that I did, and I never did it. And I remember going in, and this is, because my, my priest had read this book as well and he taught us from it. I went to my father's confession because I was, I was mad that my parents didn't defend me. <laughs> um, and I'm like, why didn't they stand up for me when I didn't do anything? Um, and when it was like, maybe you did something wrong before and got away with it, taking this book as, as a guide. And I'm like, man, I, I did. And with this specific principle. And in fact, she had said to me in grade five, you might've gotten away with it this time, but I'm going to get you next time. Um, and so it, 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 it was real life for me, like this example, right? Um, or for example, um, I remember this on a, on a personal level during college where I was a complete jerk to one of my friends and I was making a point of, of it was very juvenile, I think just a delayed person. Um, but I was like, I'm not your friend kind of attitude towards this person for no good reason, just to, just to do it. And then a few years later, there was somebody whose friendship I did care about who was doing the exact same thing back. And so in one situation, I was the aggravator. And in the next situation, I was the victim. But as Dorothy was saying is, if you really accuse yourself, you'll probably find that you've done it to this person before, or you've done it to someone else, or you're guilty of the same crime that you're accusing them of, right? If you accuse somebody of lying, like that's the person who's lying, do you stop and think about whether or not you lie? Do you stop and think about when you have lied, maybe even to that person, right? And so he's saying, accuse yourself. Don't accuse the other person. Start with um, yourself. Um, so he gives another story. A person is minding his own business, sitting peaceful and quietly, and a brother comes up to him and says an annoying word. And the person's put out. And he thinks that he's justifiably angered and speaks against the troubler saying, if this guy hadn't come and spoken to me and annoyed me, I would not have done anything wrong. Dorotheos loses it. And he says, this is a diabolical delusion. <laughs> and this is something that I think all of us probably would have said. Um, could it be that the one, and this is so like, pay attention to his wording. Could it be that the one who spoke a word to him put the passion of anger inside the person who got angry? It's like, no. The reality is that one word from the person who stoked him revealed the anger and corruption hidden inside of that person, right? And if a person views it in this manner, 
he would want to receive mercy, right? To repent and purify himself and spiritually progress to get rid of anger. But if he views it that, that way, right? If he views it as, oh, wow, I didn't realize I have an anger issue. He might even, Dorothea says, thank the monk for revealing his vice to him. The situation could become helpful instead of troubling because now the temptation wouldn't overcome him the same way, but he might advance in this virtue and find things easier to bear, right? This is like, um, I know I overtell this story, but it's the exact same story. Um, when, like, when I was a novice at St. Anthony's and, and, and the Serbian at the time was my father confession there. Um, and I was just like, these monks were saying this and this and this and this, and I didn't give names like, and he really, like, really, really pissed me off. Um, and he was like, but outwardly, I said all the right things. I have sinned. I'm so sorry. And all the nice, frizzy, lovey-dovey stuff. I'm going to say, but Sayyidina, inside my heart, I was like, you're not even a monk. You don't even know how to behave yourself. What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And Sayyidina's response was like, great. Um, and so just like, it's like, what do, you, what do you mean? Great. And he was like, you probably thought you were patient. You probably thought you were merciful. Right. And when you're sitting in your cell with nobody to provoke you, you have no idea. But this is the situation that showed what's really going on within you, right? And so this became the exposure of, okay, man, I need to work on patience. I need to work on not judging. I need to work on, on a lot of stuff. Um, and so he gives this analogy. It's like a beast of burden, right? He says that the more the soul advances, it becomes stronger. And it has the power to bear anything that comes upon it. Right, So like a beast of burden, a, a strong beast of burden, you can put a heavy load on it. And if you put a heavy load on it, it might stumble, but if it does, it gets up quickly and it doesn't even notice that it fell. It just gets up and keeps going. Right, But if it's weak or if it's sickly, the same load weighs him down, even though another beast took it fine. Right, So one donkey could take the load, another donkey couldn't. And he says, so it is with the soul. Sin makes it weakly and sickly. It weakens and undermines the strength of those who give themselves over to it, give themselves over to sin. So the slightest thing that happens to that kind of person weighs him down, right? This is why even you, if you reflect on your own lives, right? Why maybe there's periods where you were doing better, quote unquote, spiritually, where nothing really rocked you. Whereas there's other times where every small, tiny little thing feels like a hundred pound weight uh, dangling from every every finger that you, you, you've got. Um, he says, but if a man is advancing all the time in goodness, what happens to him becomes less and less difficult to bear in proportion to the ground he has gained. Accusing ourselves will work out well for us and bring us peace and much profit, especially since nothing can happen to us apart from the providence of God. Right? So let's pause for a second. So what he's saying is, if someone trips me, okay, I can say, or goes around, comes around. What have I done right now or in the past that caused this person to trip me, right? Self-accused about my own wrong to provoke this person or my own wrong that warranted this event, the saying the starting point, and 
right? If I want perfect reflexes, he's saying now take it further. So step one is, what is where is the wrong that I've done? That's his own part. The other arm is, and what can I benefit from this? What is it showing me, right? So he's saying on one level, I can look at it and be like, for choose his analogies, okay, I want perfect reflexes. What is it that caused me to trip? Was it that I was too slow? Was it that I'm not paying attention, right? And so suddenly I'm using the event to become Batman, essentially, right? But is to say that the key in all of this is how I'm viewing this, right? And we're gonna come back to that. The key is about how I'm viewing this, not how others um, are doing what they're wrong is, is in this. And I, I went through this recently, right? I had a new experiences of negativity. Um, and I wasn't used to it. And at first I felt like maybe I should talk about it. But talking about it actually didn't bring any relief. Okay. So like maybe talking about it can help to diagnose if you did something wrong, actually. I mean, if that's what you're, you're seeking when you do it, but that's it. But when I actually forgot about it and moved on, right, just completely forgot about it, there is room and time to do joyful and happy things. To the extent that if somebody brought up the wrong again, it suddenly became negative to hear about it, right? Even if it's about me, right? Most of us like topics that are about ourselves, right? Or the same thing that might've been the point of talking about a lot, suddenly comes like, I don't even wanna talk about that, right? It spoiled the mood, right? Even though people might've been wanting to be sympathetic, right? So like these things, these things look, they're real, they're real life. They're not, they're not just ideas, right? Unpause. So rebuttal, he says on your behalf and my behalf, how am I supposed to be untroubled if I need something and don't get it, right? Like what if, what if the cause of my unrest is I have a need and that's why I'm frustrated? Right, that this person has something that only they can give me or that only I can deal with them for. Um, they hold the power essentially. Um, and, and I need something. Then how am I supposed to not be upset? I want something, especially if the thing that I want is actually not just a want, it's an actual need. So Dorotheos responds saying, there's still no reason to blame anyone or be upset with anyone. He says, let's suppose there's a real need, as you say, and you don't get it. You ought to say, Christ knows better than I do if I actually should get what I want. He will take the place of this object or this food for me. And he says, okay, the sons of Israel ate manna in the desert, and the manna was the exact same for everyone. Everyone had what they needed. If, something, if someone wanted something salty, it was salty. If it was sweet that they needed, it was sweet. In short, it became what was most suited to everyone's actual condition. So let's say you want eggs, but you get veggies. Say to your thoughts, if it was good for me to have eggs, God would have sent it. God can even make those veggies accomplish for me what eggs would have. This is a very high level of thinking. If you trust God, this will be accounted to you for martyrdom, he says. So it's not like he's not aware that this is hard. If a person is worthy of rest, God will convince the heart of invading barbarians, 
right? Saying, let's say this person actually, truly, sincerely needs a moment of rest and barbarians are attacking. If they really need that, God will convince the heart of invading barbarians to deal mercifully with that person according to his needs. If that person is either unworthy or it's bad for him, if God made a new heaven and a new earth, the person will still not find rest. It is God who is merciful and grants what everyone needs. So here he's saying something so important. He's saying, stop making yourself the standard of reference, which he talked about in chapter one, and put your eyes instead on him who knows what you actually need and what's actually good for you, right? This is like the famous story of uh, Eulogius um, in the story of Abba Daniel um, of Shahids, for those of you who have heard this story, right? Eulogius was a quarryman. Um, he was a middle class, more leaning towards poor side of things. Um, and he was known to be very hospitable to all the traveling monks. So he would, hold, he would host them at his house, he would get them their needs, feed them, wash their feet, etc. And Abba Daniel at one point was so sad that uh, Eulogius wasn't rich. And so he asked God to make him rich and said, Lord, like he has needs and look at the good that he does. Like, why don't you make him rich? And the Lord said to Abba Daniel, he was just said, so um, are you ready to take responsibility for his soul? If I do what you're asking. And he said, yes, very audaciously. Um, and so within no time, Logos got rich. He actually went to, the, I think, where the Emirates are today. Got rich, like the Emirates. Um, and lost himself. And so Abba Daniel, in great distress, started praying against God, being like, wait, wait, like, I take it back. Um, and so the Lord was using it to teach Abba Daniel, being like, you don't know. You don't know what's good for people. You might identify something, but you just don't know. I know. Right? And so Eulogius thankfully goes back to Eulogius Prime um, and is uh, saved. Um, even in my own life, like I, I felt like I needed to be at a particular monastery where I hoped to be tonsured, thinking this is where I'll get my education. This is where I'll get my discipleship. This is where I'm going to get certain things. Um, I would be so bold as to say that I thought it was an injustice um, not to be uh, tonsured at a particular monastery. But at the same time, now in the benefit of hindsight, it's what I wanted, but it wasn't what was good or right or needed for me. Um, and so that's why I'm saying, if you view it that way in every situation, you're going to lose your peace at the situation. You will just be irritated by the situation. But if instead you say, do I believe that God knows what's best for me? Do I believe that God can do something? If I do, then the fact that he has not means, let me take this as though this is what's good and best and right for me, regardless. Right? Um, he goes on. But if we walk right, he says, whether someone does good or we put up with evil from someone, so whether the good or the bad, we will in all cases look above and give thanks to God for everything that happens to us, always reproaching and accusing ourselves that if something good happens to us, this is the work of God's providence. When something happens that's not good, to see it as for our sins. Indeed, it's really true that everything we endure is actually because of our sins. So he goes, holy people suffer for the name of God. 
or so that their virtues may be revealed for the benefit of many, or so that their crowns are worth for God, from God can increase. But Dorothy is saying, we're not like that. Right? He says, we're the guys who sin every day, satisfy our passions, ignore self-reproach, and instead, we're busy reproaching our neighbors. We strive in blaming every deed on others and putting the whole weight of wrong on others. We disdain the commandments, breaking them all, and yet expect our neighbor to fulfill them all. And this was the one that really hit me in this chapter, right? This is, I think, like what we're all like, where, and like this is social media, I just have to go on any platform, and this is what everybody's doing. Everyone is blaming everybody for everything, right? Pointing out where everybody has fallen short of perfection and having no expectation of ourselves to even be perfect, right? Demand perfection of everyone. And then we make heroes, right, of those who stand up and say certain things. Like, that's a man, right? Way to go, so-and-so. She's the voice of reason. And we, we put them on these pedestals. But the minute even those people fail, they are immediately vilified. And all good in them is forgotten, right? And yet the minute any one of you or I makes a mistake, What's our first question? Where is the mercy? Where is the forgiveness? Right? And suddenly the gospel is all we care about. Right? But we mock those who are in the limelight and ask for the same. And be like, oh, it's a little too late. You should have thought about that before you did it. Right? We, we, we demand perfection of everybody, but we don't do it ourselves. Um, how many of us avoid certain people or talk about certain people negatively, or even feel negatively about certain people, and yet we would be so upset or scandalized if we discover that someone was doing or felt the same towards us. How many of us are quick to say, yeah, here's where so-and-so messed up. See, if he or she had just said it like, insert whatever here, I'd be fine, but he, she didn't. So we're always finding the wrong with others, always, right? Always, whether it's what they said, what they did, how they said it, when they said it, where they said it, with whom they said it, how they did it, why they did it. We're, we're, we're everybody's jury all the time, right? How many times have we said things like, well, he didn't have to lie about it as though you don't lie. How many times have we said things like, that person has no social sense and they drive me insane. The best thing is for us to be in separate places so that I don't get aggravated, so that I can like him from a distance. Right, where again, that guy sucks, right? I'm, I, I should be treated in the right way. These are all times to self-accuse, right? These are all times to self-accuse. So, more stories from Dorotheus. He says, okay, two, you can give two stories in a row to make a point. First story, two brothers came to me, so two monks come to him that are in a fight, monks fight. The elder says of the younger, right? So one of the monks is an elder and the younger is supposed to be obedient to him. But the elder says, whenever I tell this guy to do anything, he gets upset. And because he gets upset, I get upset. Because if he had confidence and love towards me as he should have as his elders, he would take what I'm saying with faith. And the younger said, forgive me, Abba, but this guy doesn't speak to me at all 
with the fear of God, with any kind of reverence. Instead, he acts like a power holder um, and he just wants to flaunt his authority. And I think that's why my heart is not inclined to trust him as the fathers say, right? And he's quoting the fathers. They're both quoting monastic traditions. And he says, both here are accusing the other and not themselves. They are approaching, they're approaching each other and so no one is at peace. And he gives another story before he gets into explaining that. Second story. Two fighting monks come towards each other and they say, we are fighting. We should go reconcile. How are we going to reconcile? Let's, let's go give each other matanyas. So they go and give each other matanyas and yet they're not at peace. And so they say, how are we not at peace when we were told if we reconcile, we'll be fine? So one of them goes, it's because that guy's Mithanya. That guy's Mithanya didn't come from the heart. <laughs> that's, that's the problem, right? Um, the other guy goes, no, the issue is that you weren't prepared to love me when I asked forgiveness. And that's why I'm not at peace. And these sound so trivial, but I think we do this all the time, right? Where even when someone apologizes, like, you don't even mean it. You're just apologizing because someone made you, right? If you met, like, we, we're, we're not even happy with it. And so then Dorothea goes, what a corruption of understanding this is. <laughs> he goes, God knows that I'm terrified that even, that they're even abusing the sayings of the Holy Fathers to match it with the evil, their evil will, like for the perdition of souls, he says. Because instead, each of them should have put the blame upon himself. One of them should have said, I didn't bow from my heart. I didn't bow from my heart. And that's why God didn't dispose this other person towards me. Right? He says in the first story, the first relationship is saying, one of them should have said, yeah, I am speaking with lordly authority. I am doing that. Maybe that's why God hasn't disposed my brother to actually trust me. And he says that the other guy accusing the elder should have said, um, my, my brother is actually directing with humility and love, but I'm not obedient. I'm not obedient. I don't have the fear of God in me. But instead, each accused the other rather than himself. And this, he says, is why we do not advance, or we cannot come to the knowledge of good. But rather, instead, we spend all our time at odds with each other, tormenting our own selves, because each one of us justifies himself and each of us allows himself to ignore the commandments. And yet, we have the temerity to demand that our neighbor fulfill every commandment. And that is why we cannot come to the knowledge of the good. If we learn even a small portion of something, he says. And this one is really telling to me. I think I found this a lot. You figure out something. Let's say you found out something could be done more rightly, whether spiritually, work-wise, anything. You find it something small, and immediately we demand our neighbor to be at that level, reproaching him and saying, he should have done this, or why did he do that? So for example, you hear this talk about self-accusation, and then two minutes later, you see two people in a fight, and you're like, that guy didn't self-accuse, right? You immediately go find in that person <laughs> that they didn't self-accuse instead of on yourself, <laughs> right? That's what we do, and he's so on point, right? Where it's just like... I did remember learning from this father this. I wonder why that person didn't do it. Maybe they're not aware of it. And then we think we're being humble by giving them that excuse when really we're just puffing ourselves up more. We're being like, thankfully I know. Um, and yet I'm not practicing it. Um, 
he should have done this or why did he do that? Why do we not rather demand, he says of ourselves, the fulfillment of the commandments? Why do we not reproach ourselves for the fact that we did not keep them? Right? Because in any situation you're in where somebody else is breaking the commandment, so are you. Period. If you have been upset in any way, you have clearly not been able to perfect the gospel. But we'll come back to that. Um, I want to get into the practical point of near the end, but I think I think it's all practical. But I don't want to break Dorotheus's line of thought. So he goes on. Where is the elder who was asked? And he starts just quoting a slew of desert fathers to be like, I'm not crazy. I'm not making this up. This is not just Dorotheus saying it. What is the chief thing that you found in this path, father? And the father replied, saying, to approach yourself in everything. And he says, there's no, there's no other way besides this. Abba Piman said, all virtues have entered this house except for one, without which it is difficult for men to stand firm. And he said, what virtue? And he said, the man who approaches himself in everything. And then the great Abba Anthony, the best saint in history, said, man's great labor consists in taking all his transgressions upon himself before the face of God and expecting temptation of last breath. He goes everywhere. Everywhere we find that the fathers who held to this and placed everything upon God, even the smallest things, found rest. Um, so he gives an, an example. There's an elder who got sick to show the extent to which this virtue can be practiced. So this holy elder got an illness when a brother, and, and because his brother, okay, was supposed to pour honey for him, and instead of putting honey in his drink, put some disgusting foul linseed oil in the cup. And the elder got very ill because of this. And he said nothing but ate in silence the first and even the second time, not at all reproaching the brother who was serving him. He didn't call him negligent, right? I, I can't believe he messed up. I can't believe how, pay attention. Nor did he even trouble him with this single word. When the brother found out what he had done and began to grieve saying, I have killed you, Allah, and you have placed this sin upon me by your silence, then with what meekness did the elder reply to him, don't grieve, my child. If we're pleasing to God that I should eat honey, then you would have poured honey on for me. And thus he entrusted the matter to God. What's happening here is that it's removing the power of the situation from the hands of men and putting it into the hands of God. Right? This is deeply, deeply, deeply advanced spirituality. That's something like this chapter is either going to piss you off or change your life. Um, like it depends on, on, on how you use it. Rebuttal, Dorotheus, on our behalf. What does God have to do with this? <laughs> and he was like, I know someone's going to say, why would I put this on God? God didn't say anything about this. And he says, your issues you don't see purely. What does God have to do with this monk? The brother made a mistake, and you say it would be pleasing to God. But what part does God have to do with this, right? However, he said, in truth, the monk said, if it were pleasing to God that I should have honey, then the brother would have poured honey for me. Although the elder was so ill and for many days unable to take food, he did not become grieved against the brother, but entrusted the matter to God and found peace. And the elder said, well, for if it had been pleasing to God that he should eat honey, then he would, he would have turned even this foul-smelling oil into honey. But the issue is not about God, is Dorotheus's point. It's like, you're not seeing it right. You're not seeing purely. The issue is that you're, you want, you're striving against your neighbor at every incident. 
insulting and reproaching him as negligent and not conscientious. It's like, it's not about whether it's God or not. It's that you like reproaching your neighbor. You want to reproach your neighbor. We hear a single word and immediately reinterpret it saying, if he did not wish to disturb me, he would not have said this, right? He goes back and he says, that's all we think of. This guy wanted to annoy me. This guy wanted to aggravate me. And he's like, but this is a wrong way of thinking. And he gives another example from, from scripture that is, I think, so cool. The story where Shimei curses David, right? So he said, where, is, where among us are people like the prophet David, right? Who the prophet David, when Shimei comes and curses him, and, and he was, David was anointed, chosen by God, right? And cursing was a, a big deal back then. Um, should still be, but for some reason it's not. Um, and so David's response was, when someone is saying, stop, 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 David's like, let him curse. The Lord has told him to curse David. That's how David viewed it, right? Did God tell a murderer to curse the prophet? Can it really be that the Lord said this to him? Or the prophet having a spiritual understanding, right? David having a spiritual understanding knows that nothing so draws God's mercy to a soul as trials, and especially those inflicted and suffered during time of grief and need, and said, let him curse. The Lord has told him to curse me. Why? If by any means the Lord may look on my affliction, then he'll give me good return for his cursing. Right? He says, you see how wisely this prophet acted? Right? And he says, leave him alone. Let him curse. The Lord has told him. But we do not want to say of our brother, the Lord told him to do it. If we hear an offensive word, says Dorotheus, we act like a dog who leaves the person who throws a stone to run after the stone and chew on it. He's saying this is like playing fetch with a dog, right? That's what we're like the minute someone throws an insult. We run for it. We run to grab it and play with it and, and come back. And he's like, we're, that's what we're doing. It's funny that he started off with the barking dog story. And he's saying it's really us who are actually acting like dogs. Such is our behavior. We leave God and we run um, to our neighbor to say, why did he do this to me? Right? Why did he say this? And we start whining. And so while we could have received great benefit from such incidents, we act contrarily and we harm ourselves, not understanding that by God's providence, everything is ordered for the benefit of everyone. Right? That's where he ends. So there's no limit self-accusation, right? So when I put, okay, everyone pisses me off, what do I do? The answer is, why am I placing the emphasis on everyone else? Because if my starting point is, here's what's wrong with everyone else, the office of accusation, then just like we talked about the judging topic last week, my focus has subtly moved from myself to everyone else. And I'm now on the path of judgment, judging others. I'm now not going to find peace because we're acting as though I can even control others, right? And as he gave throughout these stories, even if I get in my way, I'm probably not gonna be happy, right? But there's no limit in my view, there's no limit to self-accusation. And I think what people might be missing the point is, is that it starts with humility, with non-judgment. If my rule is to prosecute others, then this chapter is nonsense. 
right? If it's actually my job, if it's actually my rule to prosecute other people, then self-accusation is useless. I think the issue is we often forget that it is not our role to prosecute others. That's not my job, right? So imagine if like, this is how nonsensical that it should be to you, okay? Imagine if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, guess what? Someone at my school shoplifted. And you jump up and be like, oh my goodness, let me go over and arrest him. On what basis? Right? Like, who, who are you? Right? As I mean, is that we don't realize we're doing that all the time, but being like, we're identifying wrongs and then acting as prosecutor right away. And we're making citizens arrest left, right, and center. Right? Where like, it's, 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 it's a, it's a comedy, but a, a tragic one. Right? Where it's just like, aha, aha, crime, crime, crime. Right? As, as though you're the prosecutor, as though you're the police officer, as though you're the justice of the peace, right? But that's not your job. And this is the missing arm from our talk about judgment last week, right? So, or two weeks ago. Um, this is a great standalone for finding eternal peace in hard situations, but it's the missing piece in judgment. Because we spoke about in judgment about defending others, right? Finding excuse for others. Um, of being able to be like, okay, basically acting as the defense witness for the accused. But Dorotheus is saying, if you want to be perfect, take it further. Don't just defend the accused. In fact, if you do this perfectly, you wouldn't even find yourself thinking of the person as accused. Instead, prosecute yourself right away. Prosecute yourselves. Turn yourself into the defendant, not your neighbor. And if you do this, and that's why this is all premised on whether or not you want gospel or you want a peace that's just social and intellectual. If you want true peace from the Holy Spirit, then you have to pursue gospel. So if you want gospel, then I'm going to be willing to cover my neighbor. And in covering my neighbor, the Lord covers us. And if I seek to justify my neighbor, the Lord justifies us, right? Of saying, you do not take into your hands, I will, right? So how does this look practically? This is just a suggestion from, from me. Consider this as an exercise. The next time you are upset with someone or something, start right away with, I wrote written down like seven questions that will get to the heart of it very quickly. One, why am I upset? Am I in a bad mood or do I just dislike the person? Right, why am I upset? Number two, what is my anger coming from? So I can identify what it is. I already know what virtue it is to work on, right? If there's an allegation, number three, from the aggressor, they're accusing me of something. You scoundrel, you liar, you thief, you, you whatever, right? I have to ask myself, is there actually any merit to it right now? Maybe I'm guilty. Number four, is there any merit to the allegation from the past? Number five, did I ever do this to others and get away with it? 
Number six, what virtue am I lacking or weak in that is causing me to react this way to this person? Is it ego? Is it impatience? Is it love of, of prominence among other people? What is it in me that's reacting to this? Is it that I love my free time and somebody's impeding on it? What is it? Number seven, if I were perfect, how would I respond? Because then you'll start working on that. Then how do I work towards that perfection? So let's give an example. Let's say somebody lied to you, right? I caught them red-handed in the line. Why am I upset? I'm upset that they lied, right? Do I have any right to this? What is my anger coming from? So is it, so like that's number two. So these questions are all tied to each other. Am I mad that they lied specifically to me? Is that the issue? Is it just centered around myself? Okay. Um, maybe what they're lying about is related to me. Like this is where the self-accusation comes from. Maybe I've made them feel really insecure because I'm really reactive when people tell the truth. Maybe I've been behaving myself in such a way that this person is scared to tell me the truth. Right? Like maybe it's my conduct. That's made this person so afraid to talk to me. Maybe, like, I said something that made them feel that this is the answer that they need, right? I'll point at me and being like, no, what, am I, what have I done, right? But then also, and where have I done that in the past? And where have I lied in the past? And where have I lied and got away with it and nobody called me out on my lie? But if you can like if you can see this, the more once you start doing that, you've shifted right away from thinking about this horrible quote unquote person who is lying, and you've turned it into a, a, a school for yourself, being like, oh man, what have I done? And suddenly your emotions toward this other person are different. It's no longer rage at the person, but man, why am I reacting this way? And why am I judging them for lying? And why am I expecting as though I'm the standard of truth that everyone has to tell me the truth? And why do I expect everybody to never commit a sin when I myself do it? Who am I? Who am I to demand that this person tells the truth? And I walk out of it suddenly, again, prosecuting myself, being like, wow, I'm a jerk. Suddenly this liar is my friend. And I've lost this passion and rage that I had. Right? It's like, this is a very, 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 very valuable tool. I'm in a fight with my spouse. What am I upset about? Where is my anger coming from? That I demanded a behavior of my spouse that my spouse is not fulfilling? Who am I to demand that my spouse do that? Where am I also not fulfilling what my spouse has asked of me? What am I doing that makes my spouse unable to do this thing with me, right? These are all, like, I'm, I'm scared of anyone thinking this is directed at them because this is what every problem is like under the sun, right? But if we were to do this practice of self-accusation, it'd be like, no, what am I doing? I've done this. I've made this person not able to do insert whatever here, right? I also fall short, and here I am demanding this other person not to fall short as though I am the king or queen of not falling short. And then suddenly I might find myself asking mercy of my spouse, who I started off with the position of they wronged me, 
And instead being like, no, I wronged you. Who am I to judge you? Who am I to demand of you perfection? I who am imperfect. Right? If someone talks behind my back, I get angry. Well, have I not talked to people behind their back? Even with the best of intentions? Even with the worst of intentions? Right? Why is it okay for me to? Right? And then why, why did I not think of who I'm hurting in all these other times? Like I'm saying, this self-accusation will suddenly make, no one will be able to irritate you because you will find that you are always able to find something wrong. And then when you're not able to, be able to say, you know what? For whatever reason, this is what God sees as being the right place for me right now. Maybe God wants me to learn this right now. And that this is the best way to learn it, right? Same thing. If I'm going to my parents, siblings, co-workers, you name it, right? This is why my father confession growing up called other people our schools of virtue, right? Whenever I bring up to him a situation, if I'm annoyed at dad, mom, school, friends, whatever, right? I'm going to be like, so he's your school of virtue. This is your now your source of learning the virtue of patience. This one is of self-control. This one is of humility, and then instead of getting mad at people, we'll start to view things as situations that teach us rather than as people who wrong us. The shift changes. And then suddenly you're the one at peace. Have you, you've probably met, they're very rare these days, people who don't get worked up easily, right? That when you're with them and you bring up to them like, oh man, like, didn't you hear like this happened? Like, manish. I mean, like, and there, and it doesn't even bother. Me. Like, no, when you don't understand, they said this about you. Yeah, it's okay. Doctor Kero, he knows, right? Or even just dismissing it and being completely fine. Or there's a situation at work. Doesn't even have to be bad talk, right? These people are not moved. These are people who have quickly been able to get past this phase of accusing others. Now, many of you might be concerned about whether the others are really wrong or not. And I would say again. It's besides the point because you're not responsible for others. You're responsible for you. It is not your job to determine someone else's motives or intentions to say, no, but they did it for this reason. Right? What does it have to do with you? It's not your job to decide who is doing their job right or well or not. It's your job to do what is entrusted to you, right? If you do it with this self-accusation, you'll even end up doing it peacefully. If something fails because it's someone else's mistake, actual mistake, then that person will be accounted of by whoever is responsible for doing that, not you. If you lose your job because of someone else and you've done all that you should do, if you practice self-accusation and if you think this from the hands of God, you'll be at peace even if you lose your job. You'll be able to say, maybe God sees that this place is not good for me and wants me to go somewhere else. But you will not, if following this, ever be at unrest. Who doesn't want that? Right? It's shifting that thing. May God grant us to seek perfection for ourselves and sort of talk so much rather than to demand it of our neighbors. Um, I think 
there is a few questions in the chat. Um, I don't know if there's any on Facebook. If there is, if someone can throw them in here, Anthony, if you could, that'd be great. Uh, first question. Um, how do we balance these teachings with the concept of being honest with people about our feelings when they say or do something that hurts us so that we can talk through it and move forward, reconcile? Um, and how do we balance this with Matthew 18, verse 15? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Great questions. Uh, the first one. Um, first, I say that I would agree with your choice of wording that it is a concept of being honest with people about our feelings. But it's just a concept. So gospel should always be first. So there's not a problem with sharing our feelings with others. But the gospel comes first. What Dorotheus is saying, you won't have worked up feelings to begin with if you master self-accusation. That's, that's what's tough about it. Right, But if I master self-accusation, I won't even be worked up enough to feel the need to talk to someone about my feelings. Right. What I would add is that if I were to then go talk about my feelings, that I would need to recognize, just like in the case of the Bible verse, that it's because of my imperfection. So what do I mean by that? And that ties into the question of the other one. The gospel says, if someone demands of you to walk a mile, compels you to walk a mile, walk two. So somebody said, hey, walk a mile. And I said, I don't want to walk a mile with you. I don't like walking with you. Because when I walk with you, all you do is piss me off and tell me these things that I don't like to hear. So I'm sharing my feelings. And I might say it nicely. Here's the thing. I don't like walking a mile with you. Because sometimes you say things that really hurt my feelings, and so walking with you becomes very painful, right? But all I'm saying is that, yeah, you can do that, but you need to recognize that step one is that I was unable to walk when I was compelled because the gospel said, walk anyway, right? The gospel didn't say walk when they're nice. It says when somebody compels you, right? And so what, what the gospel tells us about going um, and bringing him... Uh, to speak, right, um, is his recognition of our inability to actually fulfill the gospel, right? Because elsewhere it said, I can take this person to the church, right? Like I try with them and then I bring friends and then I go to the church, right? So there is a recognition that we're going to fall short. But I would just say, but make the starting point, and if we do, if we self-accuse, the starting point of, but I wasn't able to be perfect, it changes my mood towards everybody else. And then if the solution is for me to withdraw, it will not be with contempt towards my neighbor. It will be saying, because of my weakness, I'm withdrawing, not because all these people irritate me. It's because I'm not able to bear them, as the gospel says. Um, not sure that answers, but feel free to put the follow-up. Um, what do you do when you feel like people are constantly talking about you and it's hurtful? Um, as, as terrible as it sounds, let them. Let them. They said everything possible about Christ. Right? They, they called God himself the devil. 
right? They mocked him while he was serving them, right? He mocked, they mocked him and humiliated him while he was literally dying for them, right? But to take the lesson of Dorotheos is to say, you know what? Let me, let me think about when have I ever lied about someone, knowingly or unknowingly? When have I ever participated in gossip about somebody, knowingly or unknowingly? When have I ever spoken ill of anybody, knowingly or unknowingly, in the same way that people are doing about me today? And being like, man, I did that. It's good for me to learn my lesson. I'm getting, I'm paying for it now and I won't later. Not that that's the reason, but I'm saying that's a comfort. But saying, you know what? I did this, right? And you know what, Lord? I'm going to take this as a good lesson of not putting my confidence and dignity in other people, but in you alone. Because my dignity doesn't come from other humans. My dignity comes from my relation to you, right? So my dignity as, as, as your daughter, as, as your son, right? Because the truth manifests itself. Because if you continue to do what's right, right, you will be with the right person who sees you as you are, not as how people lie about you, right? Everybody will say whatever they're going to say. The truth always gets revealed eventually. And blessed are you if it comes without you even having to push it along, right? Because Christ also says, blessed are you and persecuted for righteousness' sake. So if you're being persecuted for not fighting, know that the end result for you is going to be a good one, um, not a bad one. Um, people will talk, people like to talk, and they will have their due measure for whatever it is that they do, right? So just don't, don't waste your time prosecuting them, right, to, to use the lesson of Dorotheos. Instead, only prosecute you and trust in, at the same time, the just judge who knows that you've been a victim um, when somebody's doing this and say, I'm looking for my vindication, my justification from you. I'd even add, and this isn't part of the self-accusation, but I'll throw it out there. These are where the Psalms can come in really helpful um, in your prayers, because some of the Psalms of David, I think these people don't always know how to understand the Psalms. There are sometimes where David is saying, man, I messed up. But there are times where David is saying, vindicate me, because I did nothing wrong. And there are times where he says, and everyone is speaking smack about me. Right? So find refuge also in these people who went through it. Right? Um, and in saints who got trash talked. Right? Like, not just our God, but there are saints. St. Macarius got trash talked. Right? They, the whole parish believed that he fathered a child that he hadn't. And I can't imagine something being more scandalous in, in, in the building. Right, of like Abuna slept with one of our parishioners and got her pregnant. Like that's what happened in modern English, right? Like, can you just imagine everyone like, yeah, Abuna knocked up some girl, that's messed up, right? So find solace in these, um, ask their interested, ask their help. These are times where we can get so close to heaven because they particularly, as Dorotheo said, they particularly feel for us when we have had to go through trials uh, and tribulations. Um, Miss you too, the person who wrote this one. If I'd already self-accused myself of being impatient, would it be unwise or judgmental to suggest the accuser to try to be mindful of things that are difficult for me to handle while God helps with my impatience? I guess it's hard to find the immediate next steps of self-accusation before perfection is achieved. 
especially since perfection is a lifelong journey. No, fair enough. But if I speak, so A, yes, theoretically, I might just end it there because that might be enough to bring me to peace. For, like for me, and I'm not advanced, I would rather deal with just me, right? So if I can just, if I know that I'm weak and I can't handle, then I'll withdraw. If I have to withdraw, if I can't withdraw, then I'll, then I'll just keep apologizing for my mistake. I'm saying, I'm sorry that I'm being impatient. I'm sorry, I'm recognizing that I'm being impatient, right? I'll vocalize that often, right? Or being able to be like, no, I'm judging. I'm sorry, I'm judging. No, I jump to conclusions again. I always do that. I need to stop jumping to conclusions, right? But I don't think that I have to say to the other person, can you be mindful that I jump to conclusions and in the future not say it like that? I'm not saying it's wrong to ask that. I'm just saying that I don't have any right to that. There are some relationships where that might be a good idea, right? Where it might be a good idea to say something as long as I recognize that I don't, it's not owed to me. Let's say it's my spouse or let's say somebody in the service that I work with all the time or that it's like my boss being like, hey, I'm aware that I get impatient really quickly and I'm working on it and it's not your fault that I'm impatient. I'm just asking you to bear it in mind um, that if I react or if I fall short of perfection in my, re in my reactions, that you don't get upset with me. If that person says, how can I help? Great, they asked, right? But then, but you can't demand that of them. You can't say, well, since you asked, now you got to go do all the stuff, right? But what you can say is being like, maybe because I jumped to conclusions, preface it, maybe try this, right? There might be ways of, 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 of doing that. So it wouldn't be wrong. Um, it's just that the right way of thinking matters to me uh, the most. Um, so, Haibuna, uh, you spoke a lot about focusing on working on ourselves, but how do you control it from going to becoming self-guilt, blaming yourself? Well, actually, that's exactly what he's saying, is to be guilty and blame yourself. But just not in the, I think what you might mean and how you're framing it, I think, is self-hatred, which is different from self-blame. Right. So self-hatred is, 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 is the wrong, the opposite of pride. It's the wrong, sorry. It's the, it's, it's the polar negative side of pride of like when I have so little of it that I, I have an ego in the wrong way where I'm just so like, I'm so bad. I'm so gross. I'm so horrible. I'm so this right. Versus the opposite extreme, which is I'm amazing. I'm so good. I'm the best. Right. And, and Dorotheus is saying, Recognize that I am guilty of failing to fulfill the gospel, or I wouldn't be upset. But that does not need to go to the next step of, because I'm a filthy scumbag and I'm a horrible person and woe betides me, everything about me is, is disgusting, right? It's just say, okay, that's why I said, if you ask, okay, what is it? If I were perfect, what I do? It becomes another opportunity, again, for virtue, for those of us who are interested in virtue. As I said, either this is helpful or you'll hate it. Because if I want virtue, I might even get excited. I got new data, right, of being like, oh, man, I had no idea. I thought that I had gone over this thing, but I haven't. Okay, I need to get working on those exercises. This is going to make it on my list for my spiritual guidance. And suddenly you're excited about having a conversation. I used to get so excited I might be a geek, but like 
I would take some of these concepts when I, especially when I was in college and I would write them down. And then when I go to the monastery, I had the conversation with my spiritual father, but I go to all the monks. I'm like, Hey, this is what they train for. This is where they go to school. So I'd be like, okay, how would you deal with this situation? How would you get rid of this thought of anger? Okay. I was able to outwardly not get angry, but internally I actually was thinking this or um, here, I didn't think that I did anything wrong, but actually when I found out that they failed, I was happy. How do I not feel happy? Right? Because I got used to self-accusing, right? Where now I don't even need a situation to arise to self-accuse. I'm doing it even when somebody else isn't saying anything, right? Of being like, I shouldn't have been happy to hear that. I don't even need someone to come and say it to me, right? But I was happy. That means I wish ill on this person. Okay, I have a problem. How do I work on that? Right? So, I mean, it's, it's easy to not go there if you're excited about growth. Um, if you want to be right, this program doesn't work well. Right? If you want truth, this works perfectly. Um, am I implying the immediate steps following self accusation is peace? Yes. Um, if it, I think maybe it's not in the beginning, I think that it does become the reaction of just being like, okay, okay, no, this all makes sense. It's because I'm falling short of the gospel. So there's nothing to not make sense of. It doesn't mean that I like the situation, but it will help me more and more become peaceful in any situation. Like that monk who drank the linseed oil and it was completely fine. He was sick, but he was he was not he was not upset. Um, how do we balance between the concept discussed that if someone hurts, insults, or harms you, it's because God sees that it's good for me, and the reality that people do evil, bad things in this world, that is contrary to God's teaching. We are all part of the fallen world, and many of the things people do are not according to God's will. So people who hurt us may not necessarily be carrying out God's will. And actually, that was that was what Dorothy was saying earlier, saying, what do you mean is God's will, like that the guy gave linseed oil, for example. But I think the key here is saying, I'm not responsible for that. It's not about saying that what they did was right. But it's saying, hey, God is all powerful. And if he wanted to step in and change this whole thing so that I not be in it, he could. But he didn't. Right? He's saying shift the focus it's not because other people are right in what they're doing we're not saying that the person who lied to me is right to lie right their lying is against the gospel but it's simply saying let me never be the one prosecuting others for their crimes right let me only react properly to anything happening to me and that if on top of it i can view it as a spiritual opportunity then I'll be at peace. What effect should our freedom in Christ have on our life? Joy. I think joy. Um, I'm not sure what's meant by the question, but that's my immediate answer. Um, to look at every situation as if God is involved in it and is working it out for my good, do I actually have to be in a relationship with him first? Would this apply if I am far from him? That's a really deep question. Um, I would say, yeah, it, it's easier when you're in relationship, I would say in positive relationship with him because we're never, 
we're never not in relationship with him, even if we're not talking to him. Um, but I think it's definitely easier to, because our life only makes sense in relationship with him. Because underneath everything is I'm a created being. And if I'm a created being, I'm created by someone. And that someone is God. And so things can only make sense. They can only have order. They can only have reason. They can only be rational. If God is God. If not, the whole model falls apart. Um, and so you, do you need a relationship with him? Yes, but I say, but you always are. But it will definitely be harder for you outside of it because you won't, you won't feel and see and hear. Basically, you're, you're moved yourself away from grace. Not because God's not giving it, but because you said, I don't want it right now. I want you to stay away, right? It's almost like saying, I know that if I go and spend time with my family, they're going to cheer me up. And me saying, but I won't sit with them. So it's not that they don't want to. It's not that they can't. It's that I don't want. But if I put myself back in the context of relationship physically, um, then I can get the benefit of grace um, by being there. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very deep question. Um, what is the balance? I don't know if I answered it uh, to that person. If you want to follow up, please feel free. Um, what is the balance between practicing self-accusation with the people around us and dealing with verbal, physical, emotional abuse? Um, is there a limit to how much someone should bear? My FOC said there's a difference between learning humility, patience, and being a doormat. Um, I, won't, I can't speak on behalf of a person's FOC um, because I'm sure there's a context. So if I'm disagreeing with what's literally said in front of me, it doesn't mean that your FOC is wrong because I, I don't know the context of, of, what, of what he said and what situation. I would say that the gospel says, be a doormat. But the power, but the reason why I'm not a doormat, according to the gospel, is because I have choice. That is the single differentiator between being a doormat and not. Because my voluntary exercising of the gospel is voluntary. I don't have to. I could fight back. I could insult. I could lie. I could render evil for evil. I can curse those who curse me. I can eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I can. So if I'm choosing not to, that's in the realm of my authority, not theirs. Right. But where is the balance? Um, it's the reality is, and this is the rule that I give personally in people in confession. Um, I tend to say what you can handle plus one. So my overused analogy, and I'm sorry for everyone. I know you've heard it a billion times, but if the gospel said perfect love is that we're willing to die one for the other. Right. So that's the only actual circumference around love. So let's say in bodily terms, every human being has the potential to lift a thousand kilograms. Every single one of us should be striving to lift a thousand kilograms. Always. Now, 
if somebody does something wrong, so Dorotheus is saying, is I should be like, wow, didn't lift. Wow, didn't lift. Wow, didn't lift. Wow, didn't lift. That's what we're doing when we're saying, that guy's so irritating. That person sucks. That person did this. We're sitting there pointing at everybody's lifting and being like, your lifting sucks. Your lifting sucks. You lifted wrong. Your lifting is pathetic. That's what we're doing, right? And so he's saying, don't do that. Instead, look at how you lift and say, man, I'm not lifting well. If I were a perfect lifter, I would be able to carry this person, and I'm not, right? So then where's the balance? The balance is saying, let me recognize that maybe I'm at 200 kilograms instead of 1,000. But I'm going to say I'm at 200, and I'm going to aim for 201. And next week, I'm going to run for 202. And then after that, it's going to be 203. And then if I fall short of something, if I need to withdraw because I can't handle it, because I'm at 200 and this person wants me to do 500, then I might actually need to step out. I'm not saying there's never a situation that happens. But I'm saying that if I do, I have two choices. I can die, which is what the gospel said. And if I die, as Dorotheo said earlier, you might understand it now, God is calling me a martyr. I become a martyr for the gospel. Right? But if I don't, that if I step back, I'm saying, I'm so sorry. It's because I am only able to lift 200. It's not because of your lifting. It's that I cannot. And then I don't look at people in, this, in, in a negative way, right? That's the difference, right? It's extremely, it's, it's not easy, right? But I think once a person thinks this way, it actually really, 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 I believe, does become a lot easier. Um, it becomes more, much more natural and becomes your second language um, towards it, right? That's why, to flip it to a different kind of example, some of the most secure academics you meet are the ones when someone says, hey, this person just proved your idea, and they get excited, not upset, right? Where they're like, oh, wow, right? Because they're, they're happy that there's new data, not upset. Right? It's, it's a completely different way of thinking. Um, all things work for the good for those who love him, including slander and insults. Amen. Um, I agree 100%. Um, sometimes it's not necessarily hard to self-accuse, but it's the steps that follow. It can be a really difficult place to be to know you're wrong, but not be ready to change. Not easy when you're not ready to accept God, put you in a situation you have to struggle. It's much more comfortable not struggle completely. And that's why I'm saying this whole thing depends on what do I want, right? What do I want? Do I want perfection or not? But what I would say is that um, if I grapple with that discomfort, it becomes a place of comfort, like I said about the academic, right? Because then it becomes secure. Let's say it's among spouses, just because it's an easy example. Imagine if there's a big fight between spouses and a person self-accuses and says, you know what? I have been inattentive and I or I've been standoffish or I haven't been helping or I actually haven't been really listening to you or I have actually been really dominating all the conversations or I've actually been having really mean expectations of you. 
think of how the other person will react to you. Right? Imagine if you're the other person. Would you not feel like, wow, like, thank you for acknowledging that. Right? Like, right away, the mood changes from a fight, a hostile fight, to being like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Right? Like, apparently, we're on the same page. And then it becomes, okay, well, then how do we fix this? Right? And then to the point raised before of, can I say something? That might be the right place to say something in the context of spouses, for example. To be like, okay, I don't know that I know how to fix this right away. And I don't even know how to swallow this reality that I didn't even realize was going on, right? Like this whole entire time, I thought I had a six pack and didn't realize that that was flab, folded over, that looked like a six pack. Um, and so like, now I have to completely revisit how I eat, right? So bear with me, right? But now there is a telos, there's a, there's a direction, there's a, there's a place where um, it can go, right? And so that's when I'm just like, yeah, it is uncomfortable at the beginning, but not once I, I wrestle with what it is in that, um, in that place. Um, someone asked if I can clarify um, the seven questions. Um, let me, I'm gonna actually, just because some of them are, are long, let me paste them into, Sorry, I'm trying to find, I don't know where it is. Uh, let me paste them here. If somebody can paste it into the YouTube channel as a comment. Um, like, and these are, I mean, some of these questions are very connected um, and they don't have to be um, in that order per se, but I think these are the questions that will pull out of you what's really going on. Right? Like, what's really, really, really going on here? Right? And so, like, if there's, if there's, if there's anything that happens, I can immediately diagnose it. Um, I'm just trying to see if I missed. Okay. Um, all right. There are no more questions. Let me go in there. Um, sorry, just replying to my direct messages. All right. Thank you, everyone. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one gentleman. Lord, make us worthy pray without thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, there will be done on earth as in heaven. For this is their daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those trespasses against us. Give us not temptation, but bless us in the world. Praise us, O Lord. Let us kingdom of God. Amen. Love God the Father, grace and the God, Son, the communion of the Spirit with you all. Go in peace, the peace Lord be with you all. Thanks, everyone. Sorry it was so long. Um, and if there's any follow-ups to it, feel free to uh, send them. Good night, everyone. Thank you.